Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. I think there may be a zombie on your lawn. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Well, hello there, adventurers. Good day to you all, and thank you, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome. Welcome to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda, and it is time to bring you the headlines from all the gaming and entertainment news sources. Square Enix is going to talk about some grapes. Killian talks some zombies. We have some news about Velma, Nicolas Cage, an Ice Poseidon update, and more. Saddle up and let's go. Being part of the gaming community, you really need two major things. A really thick skin and a really good sense of humor. And it's really awesome when you find a gaming community and company that has both. But this time it's all about grapes. Enter Square Enix. They're mostly famous for their Final Fantasy games. And back in 2013, Square released their MMORPG called Final Fantasy XIV. MMORPG, for those that don't know, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. You can log on, a whole bunch of people there, you get to play together, you chat together, you quest together. Loads of fun, right? And they had a fourth expansion in 2021 called Endwalker. Though the chunky piece of the DLC was generally loved by the fans, the internet erupted in laughter. At one piece of the environment, which featured cuboid grapes. Now, quick side note, it was considered to be a chunky DLC because of some ongoing issues with their number values, such as enemy health pools. They were just growing too large, and it was threatening to do some overflow errors. And so Endwalker did a, what they call the numeric downscaling, which is also referred to as a stat squish. And that just means they're taking the numbers and they're shrinking them down to something more manageable so the servers don't crash. So here comes Square, and they have a fan event coming up July 28th in and 29th in Las Vegas. And they've announced they're going to be handing out goodie bags to the crowd. Hot dog, free stuff, right? Well, among the random bits of merch that's in the bag is a physical version. I'm oh, sorry, this kills me because I love it. It's a physical version of the grapes that became like an instant meme when the Endwalker expansion was released. I mean, in-game, they literally look like grapes printed on cardboard and then folded into boxy shapes. It's just so low poly, and they're honestly kind of adorable. But in, in late 2021, Endwalker received a patch called 6.01, and it upgraded the poly count for the grapes. It made them more round and more in line with the game's graphic fidelity. 
Well, after the upgrade, fans were making memes, ironically mourning the loss of the grapes, and even the official Final Fantasy XIV Twitter acknowledged the change by tweeting, We will miss you, grapes. You were truly remarkable. Now, anyone with a ticket to Final Fantasy XIV FanFest will get the grapes alongside like a crossbody bag that has the event logo. Um, there's a 10th anniversary pin, a carrot pen, a magnet, and a crystal keychain. It is unclear if these exact items will also be giving away at the upcoming festivals that are going to be taking place in Europe and Japan. So we'll see if they make that announcement. But it was great knowing you, low poly grapes. Hey, bum, bum, bum. Got any grapes? When I think of the name Killian Murphy these days, I'm naturally going to associate him with his starring role as Tommy Shelby in the wildly successful Peaky Blinders show. But, of course, there are many other strings to this actor's bow. Now, there's a personal favorite of mine when he was Dr. Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. the Scarecrow, in, back in 2005 in the hit Batman Begins. He just did such a fantastic job with that role. It was truly kind of scary. But two years prior to the 20, 2005 Batman Begins was one of Killian's earliest roles, a man by the name of Jim in Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later. It's a little horror film you may have heard of. I'm just guessing. It was set around a virus that leads to the breakdown of society. This 2003 film and its sequel, 28 Weeks Later, really experienced this massive surge in popularity during the COVID-19 pandemic. I wonder why. What do you do when you're experiencing the outbreak of a deadly virus? Go watch a film about the outbreak of a deadly virus. Now, Killian didn't appear in the film's sequel, but it was given the renewed interest in the franchise, he said he'd be interested in returning for a third installment. Now, director Danny Boyle recently revealed in an interview with NME that a 28 months later script had been written by none other than Alex Garland, who also wrote 28 Days Later. Boyle described it as a lovely idea and teased that he's on board to return as a director. As reported by GamesRadar, Killian Murphy shares the same desire to return, and he previously said, quote, Every time I do bump into Danny or Alex, I always mention it, because I've shown it to my kids recently, some Halloween about four or five years ago, and they loved it. It really stands up, which is amazing for a film that's 20 years old. So yeah, I love the idea, and it's very appealing to me, unquote. Now, Peaky Blinders came to a close in 2022, so Killian's schedule may certainly be a little more open now. So please, universe, can, can we make this happen? Bring back Jim. Our next story, unfortunately, comes with a trigger warning for self-harm. So if this is a story that might affect you, feel free to go ahead and skip ahead. There's really sad news coming from Hong Kong. Disney star Baron Coco Lee has passed away at the age of 48. Now, Coco was a Hong Kong musician. She was an actress, a dancer, and we, we knew her as a singer. And her career began in Hong Kong, and it later expanded to Taiwan and went international. During the summer of 1992, Coco had returned back to Hong Kong to see her sisters participate in the Miss Hong Kong pageant. She'd been living in the United States at this point. 
Now, while there, she went ahead and took part in the 12th annual New Talent Singing Award show and was first runner-up. And she did so by singing Whitney Houston's Run to You. Now, the following day, Capital Artists offered her a recording contract. And that is how we get started, right? Now, fast forward a little bit to 1998. She receives a phone call from none other than Walt Disney Pictures. And they want her to voice the character Fa Mulan in the Mandarin version of the movie Mulan. But not only that, they want her to sing Mulan's main song, Reflection. This selection came from her 2020 recording of Reflection that she did in honor of the live-action version of Mulan. In 2001, Coco went on to sing the song A Love Before Time for the movie Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon and ended up performing that year at the Oscars. Unfortunately, Coco had previously undisclosed health issues such as breast cancer, and she had admitted to having a defect in her left leg and ended up having pelvis and thigh issues that required surgery, and she had to learn to walk again and had documented this on her social media. Lee attempted suicide on July the 2nd of 2023 and succumbed in the hospital three days later. She had such a beautiful voice, and it's just such a sad story. We don't know her entire personal life and what drove her to self-harm. We can just only hope that she is now at peace, and so is her family. Condolences to her family from the starter zone during this difficult time. Red alert, everybody. Big Chungus has arrived at Sony this month. PlayStation's free monthly games just dropped, and users are actually refusing to download one of them due to its ridiculous storage requirement. Let me explain. Every month, PlayStation treats its PlayStation Plus subscribers to three games that they can download and keep forever at no additional cost. Think of the weekly Epic giveaway as well as Steam has giveaways from time to time, and you can keep them for, you know, forever. Some of the months are pretty good, whereas others just leave a lot, a lot to be desired. But this month, players are generally happy with the selection, except for one title, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Popular game, what's the problem? Well, it demands a whopping 200 gigabits of storage space to download which is something just many users are outright refusing to do because that is a whale of a game. Holy cow. For context, non-PlayStation users, a console generally has between 500 gigs and one terabyte of storage, meaning Cold War takes up just an extraordinarily huge amount of room and players are just calling it insane. So opinions on the new games and the, C- the COD install size was, was recently discussed in a Reddit thread, and many players were commenting on the install size. Comments such as, damn, COD around 200 gigabit? I had to delete a lot for that. 200 gigabits for COD is insane. And highly, highly recommend Cold War for the campaign 
you can delete zombies and multiplayer and everything associated with it once you've downloaded the game. Just have the campaign installed. That's a nice piece of advice. Thank you, Reddit user. Other free titles available this month are Alan Wake Remastered and Endling Extinction, both of which really went down well with the fans. Alan Wake Remastered is free. Okay, well, there goes my weekend because, man, I love that game. Well, well, look who's sauntering in the door if it isn't some Velma news. Jinkies! All right, well, this is quite the shock. If you're anything like me, Scooby-Doo will have been an absolute staple of your childhood. I mean, every generation has had their own Scooby-Doo series. And for me, it was a pup named Scooby-Doo. I love the classic versions as well, but when I was growing up, pup named Scooby-Doo was the one on television more often. But anyway, I, I, I digress. So back in January of 2023, we saw the release of Velma, the new adult animated mystery horror series based on the classic character who's always losing her glasses. Velma is the first series in this Scooby-Doo franchise to not actually feature a Scooby-Doo. Take a moment. Let that sink in. It's a Scooby-Doo universe show with no Scooby. That's like blasphemy. Now, Scooby may actually just be the key to the formula because this show was completely met with just overwhelmingly negative response. Velma is the worst rated animated show in IMDb history. It has a score of 1.4 out of 10 based on over 66,000 reviews. And over on Rotten Tomatoes, the score has is like 7%. Metacritic, its user score is sitting at a 0.5. No, no, not a 1.5. 0.5. Yikes, okay. Some viewers were just generally unimpressed by the show, and it stars Mindy Kaling in the title role. They just felt it lacked the essence of a quintessential Scooby-Doo project. But it was slammed by critics and audiences both, and after gaining these historically low reviews, and it really just showed all signs of just being one of the most hated animated pro projects ever released. And it seemed like the only thing that guaranteed was that the show wasn't going to see a renewal anytime soon. It seemed it was completely dead in the water. At least that's what many assumed would happen. And giving its huge ratings, mainly being driven by hate watching, people were just wanting to see. They just didn't think it was as bad as the reviews were making it out to be. They really, a lot of people I was seeing on the Reddit threads and, and articles were just, it really can't be that bad. Let me go watch it. Okay, it was that bad. I'm sorry. But bad news, gang, Velma has a season two coming out officially. It's officially happening. Why is Warner Brothers Discovery doing this? They just keep making bad decisions. And it seems like what's happened the die was cast long, long before audience hate for Velma surfaced. And as the world began slamming the show, it was revealed that placeholders were already set for various aspects of a second season, meaning it was likely in production prior to the first season even airing. Now, that being said, with Warner Brothers Discovery clearly very happy to pull the plug on projects that are very deep in production or 
even completed. I'm looking at Batgirl. Why would they continue with this ratings bomb called Velma? The huge viewing figures will certainly have been a strong deciding factor. They got a lot of people to watch the show regardless of the rating. But is this gamble going to really pay off? Or has that curiosity that led to the big spike in interest been satiated enough with just a season one and season two is going to flop bigger than a catfish on a riverbank? I swear, every time I hear that theme song, it just gives me chills. Friday the 13th, the game, launched back in 2017, and despite a little bit of a rocky start, it proved to be a pretty solidly entertaining game and commercially successful horror experience. But unfortunately, its development has ended prematurely, and that ended back in 2018 as a result of a lawsuit relating to the ownership of the Friday the 13th license. No new content has been added since. Back in June of 2023, Gun Interactive, the developer, made the announcement that Friday the 13th, the game's days are regrettably numbered. The asymmetrical multiplayer horror would be pulled from the stores December 31st of this year, the same day that its Friday the 13th license officially expires. There is some solace for the owners of the game in that The studios promise the game is just going to remain playable throughout at least the December 31st, 2024 deadline. And now it has been announced that some new measures have been put into place. Now, these measures were primarily designed to, quote, reduce the dependence on the database servers, unquote. There's their scaling things back. These measures are going to also allow players to just go about their merry slaughtering killer evading survival in just this chaotic maxed out fashion i am here for this chaos let the games begin the changes made went into effect back on july the 6th and what it does is it provides access to a whole bunch of high-end rewards that were previously gated behind certain xp and customization point thresholds neither of which are now earnable because of this server update that went live. Everybody just now has access. So all players got boosted to level 150. All will have access to every Jason kill and challenge skull and will get 30 of the game's most popular legendary perks. Now, the perks won't include any negative effects and will all manifest as the best roles possible. This is going to be insane. It is absolute chaos. Now, Interactive Gun did clarify that this unlock that they've done isn't including any kills that were included in the DLCs. However, all DLC content is now 99 cents a piece. That's it. Pay a buck and you can play for the rest of the year with everything. Friday the 13th, the game may be in its final throes, but Gun Interactive isn't giving up on the asymmetrical horror genre just yet. The studios similarly styled the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game launches for PC, uh, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, and Game Pass. 
coming up in August on the 18th. And let me tell you, Chainsaw is just fun. It has all the movie vibes to it. It's got the colors, the outfits. They did the research, and I am just really looking forward to this new content. This team at Gun knows what they're doing, and it looks like they really learned a lot from building Friday the 13th, and it's just going to make Chainsaw Massacre so much better. I got to play a little bit of the demo, and I was in awe. I mean, it took a little bit for me to remember how to play an asymmetrical game because I've moved on to some other stuff recently, but it was just fun. I mean, you get to play with three killers this time instead of just the single one plus you've got the the survivors trying to get out of the, the massacre house and get off the property and it's just it's so much fun it's cool you really do have to work together because every killer has a different role i'm looking forward to seeing what new maps they're coming out with and anything else they can do with it it just it's fun it's immersive i'm the immersion i remember i was playing and my dog barked in the background and I jumped and squealed. It was so, the, the music is just gorgeous. The sounds are gorgeous. So highly recommend August 18th when this one comes out for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's show some love to Gun Interactive. They did a beautiful job with Friday the 13th. So let's just go ahead and let's give them a good send off and a beautiful welcome to Texas Chainsaw on August 18th. What comes to your mind when you hear the name Nicholas Cage? He's known for playing some really crazy roles. I mean, it's almost his trademark at this point. From the face-switching criminal, Caster Troy, to Ghost Rider, and now he's played Dracula. You can always count on Nicolas Cage to deliver an unforgettable performance of some sort. Now, he's entering the, the world of video games, and specifically the asymmetrical game Dead by Daylight. He said back in June that he doesn't just appear in the game. He's going to be fused with players who assume his digital persona. Imagine his voice. Quote, I want you to know when you're playing the Nick Cage survivor, I want you to know that we're one. Unquote. From anybody else, that might be a really, really creepy statement. But if you know Nick Cage's body of work, it fits. It's a pretty over-the-top statement, and it is, I suppose, pretty appropriate. But now, players can finally discover just how close the in-game character comes to living up to that billing. Dead by Daylight, the Nicolas Cage chapter, isn't going to be fully live until July 25th, but the, char the character is now playable on the Dead by Daylight public test build available on Steam. So... <sighs> What's the story? Every character, whether it's a killer or survivor, they have a story. What's his? This is how it all begins. It seems that while in the midst of filming, quote, the role of a lifetime, unquote, Cage delivered a performance that was so powerful, so compelling, he accidentally summoned the entity, the malevolent force that's responsible for creating the horrific, murderous realms in which dead by daylight's victims are trapped and killed yeah the man apparently is just that good anyway the good news for nick is that the massive talent haha, that got him into this mess the unbearable weight of massive talent is going to also help him get out of it 
his unparalleled acting abilities is going to grant him a trio of brand new perks that are pretty much exactly what you'd expect from him. Number one, dramaturgy. Players will allow their instincts to take over during moments of heightened intensity. They might not be able to predict the outcome, but that's what makes it so thrilling, isn't it? Number two, scene partner. When you use this perk, staring at the killer will grant players a deeper insight into their process, allowing them to better anticipate their next move. Number three, plot twist. A plot twist in the third act can really breathe new life into film and trial alike. Players will be able to use their second-to-none acting ability to get deeper and deeper into character than ever before. We're talking method acting Daniel Day-Lewis level. And in making bold decisions, that's as risky as it is rewarding. That is all just clear as mud i mean seriously as weird as it sounds the thing i actually like about these perks is that okay it's not clear what any of them actually do you just kind of have to roll with it and hope for the best maybe you're about to get a pig maybe you're getting some bees just like the man himself there's really just no way to know until you get in there and see what the heck is going on for yourself there's one last thing do note, if you do jump into the DBD PTB, your progress will pick up from the state that your live game is as of June 26. Any progression earned on the PTB will not carry back over. It's strictly a way to just get an early look at what's coming and help Behavior Interactive work through the potential issues before the Nick Cage chapter goes live. Now, the full PTP patch notes are available on Steam, and I'll drop the link in the comments for you. For the past decade, Disney has been like the Teflon movie studio, remarkably adept at withstanding what they call the tectonic changes that impact the film industry. And they're well fortified by its arsenal of key properties. They now own Marvel, like Lucasfilm and Pixar. But this year, the long-reigning titan of the box office is starting to show Four of its biggest releases from those brands and a couple of others have struggled in the theaters. There was the really bad release of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which was the rare Marvel movie to actually likely lose tens of millions in its theatrical run. They had The Little Mermaid, which was the remake of the 1989 animated classic. This live action fell really drastically short of expectations. Too many changes were made, is what was said. They just released, recently released Elemental, which is an original story. And it's tried and it really just failed to recapture Pixar's magic of previous films. Most recently, they released Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. They spent $300 million investing in one of the cinema's most venerable franchises but it just it no longer appears to have the same hold on today's audiences let's be realistic indiana jones specifically debuted back in in the 1980s we're talking over 30 years 
the audience has moved on. The magic just isn't quite there anymore. And on paper, these films seemed like they had all the makings of huge hits, but somehow the Disney sparkle was just lacking in terms of filling the movie theater seats. Barring a miracle or a sudden surge of interest in all things like Haunted Mansion, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 looks like it's going to be the studio's biggest earner of the year with $835 million. It's the first time since 2014, except for, well, 2020 and 2021, but those were the pandemic-stricken years, and the numbers are just, you can't really rely on those. Even if that's the case, Disney is still far outranking the competition in terms of market share, commanding, I think it was 37% of the industry's revenue. Now, Universal is pretty close behind at 31%, but the ticket sales for the films that it's produced have been what they call more earthbound, especially compared to the last pre-COVID year. Disney fielded a record seven movies that crossed the billion-dollar mark. That's billion with a B. This was in 2019. In many cases, reviews for these recent releases, just they haven't been standout. Critics are being really scathing about Quantum Mania, and they openly question the need for a fifth indie film indiana jones film and some people felt that maybe a fifth outing for him was appropriate considering the the failure of number four and kind of giving indy a proper send-off because harrison ford's not doing the role anymore this this is the final outing audiences were kinder they were a little bit they gave more respectable ratings on rotten tomatoes and on cinema score and if i'm going to be honest okay i'm going to look at the critics but I'm going to look at what the audience say more because I trust their opinions more than I trust the critics. But that's my opinion. There are other issues that the Magic Kingdom company is having. And because of their strategies, Disney movies each require production budgets of at least $200 million plus the marketing costs of about $100 million. So that means that the studio's films have higher benchmarks than their rivals to just break even. And in the past, those budgets were justified because the movies were crossing the $1 billion worldwide landscape with ease. But these price tags are riskier in today's landscape with China's dollars no longer a guarantee due to tensions with the West and changing taste. And then we have Russia, which is another major market, is entirely cut off from Hollywood after the Ukraine invasion. So as a result, the international box office has diminished to just a shadow of its former self. And that's having major consequences for Disney's profitability. Now, to be fair, every studio, it's not just a Disney problem. This is a whole industry-wide thing. Every studio is grappling with these realities as the box office remains down, I think it was roughly 20% from pre-pandemic times. It's just Disney has historically enjoyed such a track record of success and the their issues are casting just a major pall over the movie business the problem is that getting these costs under control are going to take time major movies take at least what three to four years to develop produce and distribute a lifetime in a very fast changing industry so even if disney is serious about tightening their belt it may may not even make a noticeable difference until minimum 2026 or beyond 
some of these bloated budgets on the 2023 releases are reflecting tens of millions of dollars that were racked up from delays from the pandemic and enhanced COVID testing. That should ease up as the pandemic becomes less disruptive, which may be a key source of cost savings eventually. But beyond that, there's just questions about where else Disney may save some money. Is it going to be in the marketing in the movies they produce, or are they going to start cutting back on special effects and other cinematic set pieces? I'm talking, they've got too many big booms, not enough story. I was actually just talking about this while watching uh, Crocodile Dundee 1 and 2 the other night. They had simple settings, simpler, straightforward stories, smaller booms, they still had them, but the music was also beautiful. I don't know, they just don't seem to make those kinds of movies anymore. But the turn in fortunes isn't only due to market conditions, it's also a mix of creative shortfalls and outsized attention on streaming. Now, the Disney banner year of 2019, when they had, a, uh, it was Endgame, Avengers Endgame, they had The Lion King, Frozen 2, personal favorite, and a lot more. These came before Disney Plus launched and kind of killed the need for repeat viewings in the theaters. Now, Endgame, for example, people went to the movies three, four, sometimes five times to watch the epic blockbuster that bid adieu to some of Marvel, Marvel's biggest heroes. The movie theater experience for that movie was just tremendous. People were cheering and screaming and crying. Spoiler. And it was fantastic, but now there's just less of a need to make multiple trips to the theaters. Moviegoers can wait a matter of months or sometimes less for a film to land on a streaming service and satisfy that need for a rewatch. I mean, I remember the days when it took almost a year for a film to come out on tape and DVD. And you watched it, you had to go back and watch it in the theaters, otherwise you were waiting a long time. Pixar has actually struggled the most from this mindset of the streaming, we can wait for it to stream. The, this animation empire, it's been struggling since COVID and when several of its titles were sent directly to Disney+. Plus. And now they've trained family audiences to watch their movies at home. Why am I going to go pay $50 for tickets and popcorn and any other concessions when I can just go pop a $2 bag of popcorn in my, my microwave and we get comfy, comfy on our couch and we don't have to go anywhere? We got spoiled. But it's re-entering the theatrical ring with some pretty heightened competition, Pixar is. You've got Illumination, which just did Super Mario Brothers, Minions and Ry the Rise of Gru, also a personal favorite. You have DreamWorks doing um, Puss in Boots, and then Sony coming out with Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, which is still in the top five in the theaters after over a month. These companies are spending a fraction of Pixar's budget to bring their animated adventures to life. Super Mario Brothers, which is kind of expected right now to be the year's highest grossing film, it's got $1.3 billion in revenue. It only cost $100 million. That was their budget. That was their production budget, $100 million, and it's made $1.3 billion in revenue. That's roughly half of what Pixar paid for Elemental, which, as of right now, hasn't cracked $200 million globally. And I want to say it's been on the, I think this is coming up on its fourth week 
of release. Rival Studios believe that Disney's animated efforts have become too, what's the word, twee, which is just, it's softened. They think the movies are becoming a little too softened. And they're lacking the, the edginess of Mario or the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot. How many more reboots are we going to do of TMNT? I mean, really. Anyway, Star Wars. Let's talk Star Wars for a minute. The, Star Wars has really just completely lost its luster in the theaters. As the galaxy far, far away has found some repeated success on Disney Plus with series like The Mandalorian and Andor. But in my opinion, and, and I'm going to go on a soapbox for just a moment. In my opinion, the Star Wars market has just become oversaturated with content. You've got movies, you've got the standalones, you've got the trilogies, you've got the TV series. We're just, we're starting to see fatigue with the franchise. And this is coming from some even hardened Star Wars fans. The recent trilogy, <laughs> just, wow, completely made a mockery of the originals. I mean, look, I love the original trilogy. I'm okay with the prequel trilogy. But this one, nope. It was great to see our favorite trio. I loved seeing Han, Luke, and Leia. And seeing how they've aged and, and in their after years. But do I really need to bring up Rey and, and Kylo? I mean, it was so rough. The, the character development was just, it was so, so lacking. And the minute that I watched the last movie the last Skywalker and Ray is trying to use the force to pull a ship out of the atmosphere. I turned and I kind of walked away. I'll be completely honest. It, it took me, it took me three attempts to watch that movie because of the ridiculousness. It's like, okay, where is this coming from? And spoiler alert, I don't care that she was supposed to be, you know, this Palpatine clone that was just too much. And it just, it just really, I mean, all the hard work you see of Luke going through his training and then she pops this out. No, it just, it didn't fly for me. But anyway, more than its competitors, Disney is going to be able to withstand some of its movies functioning as what they call loss leaders. So in, a de in addition to racking up ticket sales, the studio's films are designed to boost interest in toys and in theme parks. Look, the merchandising is insane. Although, and for example, The Little Mermaid had barely floated past the 500 million mark. The return of Ariel, though, is helping to sell themed Legos, backpacks, dolls, bedding, even nail polish. And the same goes for even the underperforming Marvel adventures like Ant-Man, that brought an influx of interest to the Avengers Campus, which is a Marvel Cinematic Universe-themed area at Disney uh, California Adventure Park. So the question now remains, how much can Disney stand to lose before they have to reverse course with some of these more current decisions? Are they trying to find some new magic like they did with Frozen? Can they? Can they come up with new material that is compelling, exciting, and spun thousands of videos of little girls singing let it go i want to see disney succeed i love disney growing up i just i'm starting to have doubts for their ability to stay top dog in the long term 
Just this past week, America celebrated their 247th anniversary of independence from Britain. Sorry, cousins. And every year since 1972, the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest has been held at the original location on Coney Island, New York. And once again, Joey Chestnut is the top dog. For my international listeners, here's the competition in a bun. Competitors stand on a raised platform behind a really long table, and there are drinks and Nathan's famous hot dog in buns. Most contestants will have water on hand, but other kinds of drinks can and have been used. And I distinctly remember a contestant last year with what I think was red Gatorade. You are supposed to eat the hot dog and the bun, and what most contestants will do is they'll dip the bun in the water to help it go down. And so watching this guy with this red liquid dip those buns, oh, it was so disgusting. But anyway, condiments are allowed, but they're usually not used. You want them as simple as possible to consume as fast as you can. The hot dogs are cooked and they are allowed to cool slightly after the grilling process to prevent possible mouth burns. We appreciate that. But the contestant who consumes and keeps down, that's the important part, the most hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes is declared the winner. If you can't keep the dogs down, you're disqualified. The winner of the men's division gets to keep a coveted international bejeweled mustard yellow belt. It looks fabulous. And Joey Chestnut has held this belt 16 times in the last 17 years. That is a lot of hot dogs. And look, if you're the squeamish type, I don't recommend watching it. It is just, it's purely disgusting, gluttonous fun. And this year's contest, it was actually delayed due to weather, and it got to the point where they actually canceled it. But Joey and his fellow contestants waited it out, and about two hours after the initial start time, the competitors took to the stage. Start timer, 10 minutes later, and Joey Chestnut managed to eat 62 hot dogs. And that's including the buns, remember. It was impressive, for lack of a better term, to watch. It is amazing to see the different strategies that these people come up with to eat that many hot dogs in that little bit of time. I really just don't know how else to describe it. And so, by the way, I looked it up. Joey Chestnut's record was set back in 2021, 76. 76 hot dogs that man consumed in 10 minutes. And by the way, I did the math. The 62 that he just ate, that is... 18,814 calories. Insanity. But congratulations on the new win, Joey. A few episodes ago, I covered the story of Ice Poseidon, who is a very controversial current kick streamer. And he's currently in Thailand. We found him and he's facing possible punishment for doing a lap dance on his girlfriend's lap in a restaurant lounge while wearing lingerie and being filmed all back on June the 28th. So yeah, long story short, he's facing five years in prison. In the time since being arrested, Ice Poseidon has been sharing some updates on his Discord. He revealed he spent $12,000 on bail, but he could be stuck in Thailand until his court date, which is in 2024. According to ICE, the Thai jail that he was in before posting bail was, quote, awful, explaining how he was only given a bucket to do his business in and it was already full of somebody else's excrement. In another post, he revealed that he'd been charged with 
distribution of obscene, of obscene content because he the, the lap dance was filmed. He also claimed that Kimberly's dress, now Kimberly's his girlfriend, the one he was doing the lap dance on, it was also claimed that the dress that she was wearing was a problem because it was, quote, too revealing, as if the lingerie wasn't revealing enough. At least the important bits were covered. The kick star says that his charges are the same ones that were levied against the OnlyFans creators that were back in 2021 for violating Thailand's Computer Crime Act. So he's currently awaiting a court date. His visa's been extended so he can stay. And Ice went on to say, everyone is just so stressed out that they may not even stream on kick for the foreseeable future. So we await further updates on Discord to find out. Is he going to stay? Are they going to kick him out? Is he going to jail for five years? We don't know. But all I can say is that lingerie really just didn't even look that good on him. For major movie buffs, hearing the infamous Wilhelm scream in a movie is like finding an Easter egg. <coughs> but where did the scream come from? What is it exactly? Okay, so the Wilhelm scream it's an iconic Hollywood soundbite that, thanks to its use in countless films at this point, TV shows, and video games over the years, it really is one of the most familiar yells in human history. It's kind of one of those, you've probably heard it, you may not recognize it, but as soon as we tell you, now you're like, oh yeah, I know that one. But its origins are actually pretty well known. It comes from a movie called Distant Drums. This was filmed in 1951. And like most movies from that time, the actors recorded their dialogue later in recording studios. So Distant Drums features a scene where some U.S. soldiers are on the run from the Seminole tribe. And while trudging through a swamp, one of them is bitten and dragged underwater by an alligator. It happens. An actor by the name of Sheb Woolley played the part of that character. And while recording his lines for the movie... He let loose a series of screams. You know, you never know which one's going to really fit the scene. So he tried a couple of different ones. And his fifth attempt didn't just make it into the movie. It made it subsequently into a whole bunch of films, including westerns and war movies throughout the 1950s and the 60s. But it didn't really take off until it was used in the original Star Wars. Remember the scene where Luke blasts the stormtrooper off the ledge as they're trying to escape? the Death Star, after rescuing Princess Leia. That stormtrooper, he takes a tumble and lets loose the most infamous scream in all of cinematic history. And ever since, the sound has been used as kind of a tribute and a joke by directors and sound designers ever since. The sound itself is named after Private Wilhelm, who was a character in a movie called The Charge at Feather River. It was a 1953 Western in which the character gets shot in the thigh with an arrow. This was its first use following its inclusion in the Warner Brothers stock sound library, although the charge at Feather River was technically the third film to use the effect. You've also probably heard it in several video games as well. It's in everything from Red Dead Redemption to God of War, Team Fortress, Grand Theft Auto, and Witcher 3. But anyway, so enough of the history lesson. We're here because last month, a series of old recordings from the archives at the USC School of Cinematic Arts was uploaded to the internet. And among one of these recordings is a nice, 
clean version of the entire take that the Wilhelm scream originates from, during which you can hear Sheb Woolley's alternate renditions of his death cry before they settle on the version that we're all familiar with today. The person to thank for this is veteran audio engineer Craig Smith. He's a graduate of the school, and Smith has been preserving the University of Southern California's old tapes for just years. And this recording in particular was previously part of the original sound effects library of a small Hollywood company called Sunset Editorial. It's a now defunct company, and it had a particular focus on making and storing sound effects for TV shows to reuse later down the road. Very cool little piece of history here. I'm going to post a link in the comments so that you can hear it for yourself. Hear the entire clip. It's a very short one, but remember, it is a version, scream number five um, that he attempted. And once you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, that one. I mean, it's a very iconic scream, and you may recognize it. But hearing it in the original recording and hearing his other versions, I don't know. It's just a really neat piece of history. It's just really cool. I'm going to take my geek self out and move on. And now for something different. Folks, it happened again. I found two stories for us. This is going to be fun. Okay, first story I'm going to take you to Colfax, Iowa. And a man there by the name of Aaron Bartholomew may be on his way to an official world record for his pencil collection. Aaron has been collecting wooden advertising pencils since he was a child. These are the ones that advertise the businesses on the side of them. He claims to own more than 70,000. Repeat, seven zero comma zero zero zero. That's substantially more than the current Guinness World Record for the largest pencil collection. That's at 24,000, held by Emilio Areñas from Uruguay since 2020. Now, Bartholomew did an interview with KCCI-TV and said that his most treasured pencils are those from his hometown, noting that in many instances, the pencils are the only place where there's any record of that business still. And I think it's just a neat way to preserve history. So last weekend, two counters from the American Pencil Collector Society, didn't know that was a thing, they went to the Colfax Historical Society to go start counting pencils. And now he's waiting to hear if the count is approved by Guinness, which estimates the review process. It could take up to about three months. Um, hang on just a second. I need to go uh, pencil a reminder. I need to check this story in three months. LOL, smiley face. Now I'm going to take you over to Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm going to advise you to keep your pants on for this one. Climate change protesters dropped their pants at the Massachusetts State House during a debate on a proposed tax relief package to bring attention to what they say is the need for swifter action against the use of fossil fuels. At about 1 p.m., protesters stood, turned their backs on the Senate chamber, and lowered their pants to reveal letters that spelled out, stop passing gas on their bare backsides. The protesters were all wearing pink thongs. And boy, there's a mental image. The eight protesters were chanting. They were disrupting the Senate session. And this was all according to the state police investigation. So just before 2 p.m., this was about an hour later, the protesters were told that the public gallery was closed. 
After being warned that they were subject to arrest, the protesters refused to leave and so were placed under arrest. I bet they were shocked and they were escorted out of the chamber. And then they were subsequently charged with trespassing on state property, disorderly conduct, and pretty indecent exposure. The senators then returned and they continued their debate. The group of protesters belongs to the bigger group called Extinction Rebellion. They've staged other protests at the same state house and they say they're going to plan to continue their efforts until lawmakers approve legislation that bans a new fossil fuel infrastructure. Now, the former governor, Charlie Baker, last year signed a major climate bill that was meant to bring the state closer to its goal of net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. In the new law, it's encouraging the development of offshore wind and solar energy, and it gives some local authority to limiting the use of fossil fuels in, bid- in all their building projects. To be honest, I'm not really sure what type of awareness exactly they were going for with this protest, but I'm now, and I'm sorry for this, I now am going to be associating Massachusetts with a pink thong. You're welcome for that image. So after that story, anybody else feel the need to go crank up the 1999 hit thong song by Cisco? Maybe just me. Okay, well, had a little bit of an interesting trip today. We talked about the thongs. We talked about the pencils, the low-poly grapes. We talked a little bit about the Velma hate. Friday the 13th just gave a gift to their community. We talked about some Joey Chestnut hot dogs and Nicolas Cage. I think we ran the gamut of a whole bunch of different stuff here. But I want to definitely thank you guys for joining me today. Uh, Do want to remind you, we do include the links to all of our sources in the comments. So you can see what we see and see more. Don't forget also to drop a comment or send us an email if there's a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in entertainment and gaming news. Remember guys, stay comfy in that starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. Listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in The Starter Zone.